Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast, the show where we combine the best, the latest and greatest info in the world of marketing and merge it with conversion copywriting insights. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter and founder of The Copyworks. But before we get started, a quick reminder to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy what you hear, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us bring you the content that you love. Now let's jump into today's discussion. My guest today is Kyle Bell. Kyle is a freelance fintech copywriter at Bell Copywriting Inc. And he, when I asked for his bio, and we'll have to get into this in the interview, he says, I'm affectionately known as Mr. Coconut by some of my clients because I'm the coconut loving wizard of fintech copywriting. Kyle and I go back and forth on LinkedIn all the time about coconuts. And I have no idea how that even started, but, but he's a great fintech copywriter. And we're going to dig into all of how he got started, what that means, why this niche is different than other copywriting niches and a whole lot more. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Kyle. I'm excited to talk to you today because we have a lot of ground to cover. So thank you for taking time to chat with me. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> now, you and I, we spoke once before, but we do a lot of bantering on LinkedIn. And so I have questions that have nothing to do with fintech. So before we even get into that, I wanted to jump in. I want to ask you, first of all, you're, you're in Cyprus. What brought you to Cyprus? Wife is Cypriot, so I moved here. That's it. Uh, there's no real big backstory behind it because I would I would probably never move here. I'd visit, uh, but I certainly wouldn't move here. If I was going to live in Europe, I think it would be probably Estonia, Croatia, uh, potentially mm. maybe Hungary, a different country in Europe. So, and technically, I guess Cyprus is uh, it's European Union, but it's not really near the continent of Europe so so much like the other countries but it's uh, it's been fun here it's supposed to be beautiful right i mean i looked up on a map cuz i had no idea cuz geography is not my thing and so i still i still don't know where it is um, but when i looked it up i had like the questions that you know they have these questions that pop up on google when you're looking for things and people were asking where is is cyprus dangerous and is it um where is it? Like people are asking, like, is it part of uh, Greece or is it? Because I guess there's some questions about about that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, okay, Lefkosia, where I'm living, is the only capital in Europe that's split. Because back in 1974, uh, there was a war, so the Turkish people came in and occupied the other side of Cyprus, which is 40 percent of the island. Uh, so the other 60% is Greek populated. Now, if you live in what they call Northern Cyprus, uh, there's no regulations there. There's no rules. There's nothing that's really holding it together except for the support of Turkey. So there's been people I've met uh, from the UK and they've bought property there. But then if there's any political issues, they're basically on their own at that point. So it's better uh -huh. to stay on the European Union side, which is the Greek side of Cyprus, because... It's recognized by the rest of the world. Okay. Put it in, in summary. Yeah. I like that you know your history. Um, 
Yeah, not really. I've heard enough stories from (laughs) the locals here. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just copycatting and kind of regurgitating what they've told me, and I remembered it surprisingly. Well, that's okay, but still, you know it. And then the second question is, you in your bio, and I. I did record your bio separately, as I've told you, so you weren't here for it, but you call yourself a coconut-loving um, Mr. Coconut. How did that even come about? What is it with you and coconuts? <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> it, it first started a bit as a joke because uh, Rocker Stridum, I know you, you, you know him, and so we were chatting one day in one of his posts, and his wife decided to interject and say, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about with my husband, <laughs> coconuts, and all these things. And I said, no, uh, you got to understand. I said, I used to eat them a lot years ago. (laughs) And in the current day, I I haven't eaten them except for when I first arrived in Cyprus, I went to the store and I bought uh, some coconut flesh, I guess is what they would call it since it wasn't really skinned. And me being the very detail or into person that I am, I didn't look at the expiry date and I found out that they were expiring in two days, but I didn't have them then. I had them, I think, four days later. So I admitting to them was just, uh, it was rough. So am I scarred from coconuts? No, certainly not. But I haven't <laughs> eaten them since then. And uh, actually, when that all came into fruition about uh, loving coconuts with Rocco, uh, I wasn't even eating them then. I think the f- only thing I was using was uh, coconut milk in my Thai cur- curries I was making at the time, and that was as far as it went. So I don't think that counts. I think you need to actually eat a physical coconut or put it into dishes that you're cooking. But that's where it came from. So then there was a people I was working with that uh, I was introduced to by Rocco, and then they started calling Mr. Coconut, and that's kind of how <laughs> things came in your existence, and, and it's been carried on throughout. So. I, I'm no longer uh, going to stop mentioning it, even though I do love coconuts, but I haven't had them for a while. Okay. Well, that clears that up because I've been wondering, and you and I joke about, now we've carried on the tradition in our own like exchanges on LinkedIn. So that's sure. so funny. And does this have anything to do with how you got into FinTech? Um, how how did all that evolve? Did you start as a just a... Um, I was going to say regular copywriter, but is there such a thing? Did you start in any other field first and then you realized yeah. that you liked fintech? Yeah. I and mean, how did that come about? Yeah, I was in the first four years of my copywriting career. I was in uh, your sector because I was dealing primarily with health coaches, supplement companies, dietitians, et cetera. Uh, so I was doing a lot of uh, B2C copywriting. So at that time, it was emails and landing pages primarily. Uh, the occasional content, so there'd be an ebook here and there, or even a bit of consulting. That's what I was doing for four years, and then so, uh, yeah, I guess four years ago is when the pandemic started. So around just before the global pandemic started in March, I decided to get into fintech because I always had a passion for finance, and as well. Uh, I knew fintech was going to be the future of how finance operates globally. So that's when I got into it. It's not a sector I recommend a lot of people get into unless they're really into writing technical copy. Then by all means, jump in. But if they're not into that and they don't want to do something that's going to require strenuous research and a lot of painful hours, well, may- maybe you're sitting over the keyboard. Maybe you're falling on the keyboard. I don't know. It's just something that is uh, 
not easy to do in the beginning. So if they're willing to put in the hours of research to actually figure out a specific product or a service mm-hmm. in fintech, then by all means, get into it. Um, what I would recommend, if anyone's going to jump in to the sector and they want to write copy or they want to uh, market brand, whatever it may be, something to do, marketing, branding space, uh, they should look at a particular niche. Maybe that might be payments. It could be crypto processing. It could be in investing. It could be uh, looking into how APIs work, so application programming interfaces, because all of those things are very important to how a fintech product will function. So if okay. you understand the basics then that's a, a good start. I don't know anyone else, actually, except for maybe three other copywriters that are in uh, the fintech space specifically. Yeah. Well, how did you yeah. land your first client there? Was it kind of by accident? Because I know how a lot of these things happen. Or did you pursue that niche? So, yeah, I remember my first fintech client. What happened is they came to me because they were initially asking uh, if I'd done anything in the investment world. So with any traders, which that was primarily what I was interested in even before fintech. So I had worked with a few. And then they were, yeah, an exchange, a cryptocurrency exchange. Mm-hmm. And I knew a bit about crypto at the time. I know significantly more now. I still don't know a lot because it's constantly changing. Right. Uh, but when they asked me that, I said, okay, yeah, I could certainly work with you. And uh, that was my first really big fintech plan that I worked with because we worked together for uh, five months. And then I also went to New York to meet him. So mm-hmm. that was fun. Yeah. And so was that when you realized that you were good at it? Cause it seems like something like I've written for some investment companies, like a couple, this is a, quite a while ago. And I found it very difficult because as you said, it's not just the research, but it's, there's a lot of technical, um, background that you kind of have to know like did did you immediately like it like i want to know more about this or was it something that kind of you thought well maybe because companies that uh, fintech companies that have they i would imagine they have the budget because that's just all kind of field right so did you immediately like it or did you still like were on the fence about it when i first started i thought it was a little bit demanding uh, since there's so much information that you don't know and you have to really understand that first mm-hmm. before even figuring out what the ideal customer profile might be and then as well diving into the unique selling proposition and that's really the real work for a copywriter and then I, you have to do all this prelim- preliminary stuff. Uh, I didn't really like in the beginning, honestly, uh, but what I did like was the mission statements and the purpose of these fintech companies. So that is what really kept me in it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I can say that the other motivator was the budgets because most fintech companies do have a pretty big budget for marketing. So they're willing to pay a contractor uh, decent fees as opposed to, say, certain coaches or maybe even PR companies or advertising agencies that a lot of mm-hmm. copywriters seem to work with. And then they have trouble getting the fees that they're requesting. Right. And that would make total sense. Um, What you said you liked their, what they stood for, kind of their mission. Like, can you give an example? Like, what was it? Can you think of a specific, like, was it a mission statement sort of thing? Yeah. So there's a client I'm working with right now. Uh, They're the, one of the largest payments companies in the MENA region. So they're uh, headquartered in Saudi Arabia, but they're 
primary headquarters office is in Jordan. Uh, so what I like about their company is they're specifically trying to get the merchants in the Middle East to adapt the new world because 30, yeah, 30 years ago, there was nothing there. It was just desert camels and people walking around with bags of cash. So it's good <laughs> to see uh, that the businesses are now wanting to do things in real time with their transactions and they have to deal with a multitude of currencies as well because there's a lot of e-commerce businesses uh, in the Gulf region of the world. So that's what I like about it. And they're focusing solely on the merchants, which a lot of payment companies don't. Uh, mm -hmm. They can be dealing with spend management or even travel expenses, say, for businesses when all of their staff goes to an event. Uh, so that's what I like about just the, com the company I'm working with now. But there's also, uh, yeah, the cryptocurrency company, what I liked about that at the time, uh, but it's since changed, was the entire purpose was to focus on the U.S. military and the veterans because the owner is a veteran. And so I like that fact because they would have another stream of income they could create. And I understand, specifically in the U.S., uh, the veterans are not treated so well. Canada's the same. Uh, so if they're mm -hmm. able to generate another stream of income aside from their pension that they get from the military, uh, that's great. So that's why I liked about that specific purpose. Okay. And what about the legalities of writing? Because I know with well, health and fitness, I mean, is, yeah. is it crazy? Like, how do you learn how to get around it and work with it? Uh, you don't really learn so much until you have someone from as head of compliance at the company come and say, okay, we can't say this, we can't say that. And then they're thinking, okay, they just crossed out 80% of what I've written, but all right, I'll go back <laughs> to the drawing board and try to figure something out. Uh, so I don't even personally have a glossary of terms that you can't use, but I could create one. Maybe I should do that in the future. Uh, but there's a few terms I know you can't use. You specifically cannot talk about year-on-year uh, -year returns, year-to-date returns for any asset management company, whether it's digital or otherwise. And you can't directly give a specific advice that would be considered investment advice. Um, oh, really right. With payments, since I've worked with a number of payments companies, uh, the compliance around payments is more or less you just have to speak like you're a kid and you cannot get into how the tech operates, even though that would be extremely beneficial for credibility and trust. You can mention the tech and you can say this is what it is, but you can't really get into the engineering behind it, let's say. So right. that's a bit of a, limit, uh, a limitation. Yeah, because I was wondering about that because even in the health field, so I wrote a lot for fitness. When I, I had ran an online fitness course and I wrote my mm -hmm. own ads, this was before I became an official copywriter. And there no. was so much I could not say. And there are mm -hmm. images you can't use, especially like I'm talking specifically about Facebook, which is probably not where your clients are. But at the time, that was where yeah. mine were. But you can't do like the before and after pictures and you can't do, I mean, the littlest things. Like I had a tape measure as an image and they said, makes people feel bad. It wasn't a tape measure around somebody's what? waist. It was just a tape measure. But I learned wow. over time how to get around those things. And you can't, mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah. And you just can't make people feel bad in any way. And I would imagine, you know, it seems yep. like yep. fintech is kind of uh, really tight. And I would think, like, do you think it limits your creativity? Do you ever find like, it's like, oh, I wish I could say this and I can't. It's You kind of alluded to some of that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, w- one thing uh, a head of marketing once told me because I think she was working in retail and health, and then she ended up working for a fintech company. And she said, "I never understood all the regulatory rules that people have to go through in this industry until I got into it, and it's exhausting." And I said, yeah, "I can imagine, yeah." Especially since she's dealing with a larger team and she was managing a bunch of people's content, so I, I, I get it. Uh, the main difference is really this, though. In health and wellness, people are going to respond to hope of reward there much more than fear of loss. But in fintech, it's the opposite. People are going to respond more to fear of loss. So you you don't really have as much need for creativity with fintech as opposed to uh, anything in the health and wellness space. Uh, And it certainly is limiting when you decide to want to say something maybe a little bit outlandish. That's why... I was speaking the other day with someone about uh, humorous copy in fintech. And I think that's something that needs to change a bit, especially in the B2B space, but generally all across the board, uh, because if there are a few jokes can be made to make the product seem a bit more lighthearted since the right. trust in products is low. I think it's most uh, demographics is around 35, 33% uh, for complete trust in a, a product. People trust banks. More than big banks when they trust fintech. So that needs to change. And I think humor can be part of that because what happens is a lot of the copy, you can't really reveal that you're human. You're just talking almost like uh, you're a robot. And there's a lot of corporates because yeah. I just I just received a leaflet for the product from my client. And I look through it and I said, oh, this is pretty bad. I can see why she wanted me to rewrite it. So I went through it, I'd rewritten it, but I, I kind of had an idea of what I couldn't couldn't say anyway, just from working in that space. So when I sent it over, uh, she was very pleased because she said, oh yeah, this is a lot more palatable. And I said, yeah, it just sounded like uh, it was written for people that would understand the engineering behind it, would have spoken to a software engineer, would have gotten the fact that they're using this type of tech and you know, it would have made sense. But th- those are not the customers. The customers are people running businesses that want to make sure that they can get transactions done. Uh, immediately right. and not have to have holds on money and, and also not lose money because they want to be able to look after their spend management and budget and have an expense report they can monitor uh, in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so interesting because, you know, B2B is notorious for being known as boring to boring. And we talk a lot <laughs> about that, especially on LinkedIn, you know, and, and how it tends to be very dry and B2B companies are afraid, uh, you know, to, to use humor. And it's so, it's such a touchy subject because people, when you meet people, like say you didn't know what anybody's background was and they're like an executive, like I'm thinking of like going to the gym, everyone's like shorts and t-shirts. You don't know who owns a company. You could be, you know, it could be anybody. Um, They're all just, they're laughing at the same things or similar things. You know, we find the same things funny, um, but we forget that. Like a lot of, a lot of writers, especially if they're new to copywriting, they will just start writing like a robot. And especially now with AI, you know, I've written a couple of posts on LinkedIn about marketing speak and they always go viral because people just get, they're just tired of it. It's the same words over and over, but it's almost like you kind of have to stick with that with FinTech a little bit, right? 
I mean, some of those words, I mean, the ones I'm thinking about probably aren't ones you would use anyway, because they're promising, like, you know, uh, what is it like secret sauce? And, you know, those are words I can't imagine you use in fintech. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use secret sauce now. That's going to be fun uh, in my next okay. promotion. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Uh, I'm pretty sure that almost all people would be turned off by that uh, because you're dealing with people's money normally. And so they don't right. like to kind of have that lighthearted tone yeah. to something they're going to invest into as well. Right. And then they think, okay, you're going to manage my money, but you're not going to take me seriously. And you're going to save secret sauce. Well, here, I have some secret right. money here for you. <laughs> so yeah, um, there are certain things that can be said, uh, humorous. Well, it hasn't happened yet. Um, I know in, in, in the health space, it'd be a lot easier, I would think, wouldn't it? To kind of insert. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's easier to be lighthearted. I mean, as far as actual out and out humor, it's still kind of difficult. Like I, I love to write humorously, but there's not a lot of times where I'm able to do that unless I have a client and I've had a few that really want that humor. And they've said, in fact, one of them, I had a very successful, um, uh, a, a copy that I wrote for, for this one client and he's a SAS and it was, a um, an automated, um, what, what it's, this is a few years ago now. I can't even think of it, but it was, it's a serious tech product, but he said, I want people to know that, you know, we are, we're people, I want this to be lighthearted. And so it was, he was coming up like his biggest um, the thing that he wanted to come up against was how people are using outdated modes of this automation. So one mm, of the headlines yeah. that he literally on our call burst out laughing, I said, um, I, put, I think it was an email, I said the okay. 90s call dot, dot, dot. They want their flip phone back. And by the way, they want their automated, you know, and I went on, and he goes, I love that. And it landed them a huge contract, not that particular mm. email, but the whole, seri whole series. And that was yeah. a an area that you wouldn't think you know, SaaS um, technology, you wouldn't think would be open to, to that, but he asked for it. And I was so happy because I love writing like that and it kept, caught attention. Yes, so, but what are the challenges? So it's, you, you touched on like the legalities. Um, right. What else is, is difficult about this niche that you don't find so much in other copywriting niches? The speed at which things change because if you're not looking at the news in the space, not specifically with which companies have been funded or even uh, how they're growing, but what technology people are, are planning on using and how it's going to adapt. Because right now, uh, the big talk in payments is uh, ISO 20022 tech. Uh, in short, to not bore anyone, what it does, it just helps real payments come in real time. Of course, there's tons of regulation behind the compliance, understanding uh, who the customer is, so KYC and all of that. But you can't really talk about it so much. Uh, you can just mention it, and that's what a lot of the companies are using because it's very efficient. Now, mm -hmm. what I would say is the most challenging thing is reading all of the news that comes. So it's like, I think I have eight different newsletters that I'm subscribed to. And FinTech uh, does name a few. 
Uh, one is FinTech Coffee, the other is FinTech Futures, the FinTech Times. Uh, and you can go to these sites and you're going to get more than enough information. But then you also need to know where to go look uh, because there's a ton of trade magazines that they just publish for free. And those are the best sources to get the most up-to-date information and actually have a clear understanding of what's going on in different industries. Because with mm-hmm. banking or with payments or with investing, because there's a ton of companies in each of these uh, realms, it's all very different. So you have to choose as well, what are you going to focus on in that fintech space? So for me, it's uh, primarily payments. And then as as well, mm-hmm. payments can cross into banking a bit, so I can deal with that. And the other third thing for me is the people I work with are a lot of traders. But they, whether they have individual uh, traders and they have a big outfit where they maybe have a few people that they're just trading under them, under their uh, company, or sometimes it's people that are just uh, working for us across a SaaS company that's helping asset managers or traders deal with their day-to-day trading. So uh, I worked with a company in Europe, actually, but they're all about data. That's what they were doing. They were standardizing data for depositories and asset managers. And mm-hmm. that's a very different space than what a SaaS company might do to help people manage their investments and look after the compliance and the regulatory rules of the equities, say, they're trading, right? So I think those are like some of the big problems that people would face if they're getting into the space and they're trying to solve for them because the regulations that happen in Europe specifically are slow, but in the US, they're a bit faster, although Mm. there's a big problem right now with the crypto adoption in the US. EU just passed a law recently uh, where the crypto uh, Bitcoin ETFs are available to everybody. So now institutional investors can get involved, Uh, but that's not the case in the US. So, But the other side of it is in the US, regulatory rules move very quick. So businesses that are headquartered there, they have it uh, better, not specifically in crypto space, but generally they have it a lot better because they don't have to wait a long period of time Mm -hmm. to deal with the regulatory compliance rules. So, yeah. You just talked about all the reasons why I don't write for fintech. (laughs) (laughs) Understandable. Taking all that time and, and I mean, it's a lot, but, and I, and how do your clients end up finding you? Do you do a lot of outreach yourself? Do they find you through LinkedIn? How do they find you? Yeah, I, I do both. So I would say 30 to 35% of my clients are coming through inbound through LinkedIn or through emails or from referrals, what have you. Mm-hmm. And I would say mm-hmm. the other, yeah, 65% is uh, through outbound because there's so many people on LinkedIn no matter what kind of content I'd be, I'd be writing and no matter what kind of reach it gets, whether it's gigantic or just small, they won't see it because a lot of the people that are dealing with these companies on LinkedIn, whether they're VPs or head of marketing or chief marketing officers or marketing directors, they're not uh, on LinkedIn looking at people's content. That's not what they're there for. They're doing other stuff normally. Right. Now, there are people that are in those positions that do go on LinkedIn that look at content, but... It's not a lot of them. So some of the clients I've worked with was specifically just because of outreach on LinkedIn. And I am almost positive they wouldn't have found me any other way. And a lot of the people as well, what happens is since regulation can move slowly sometimes, they understand they need help with their messaging, positioning, and then their copywriting. And they have a CMO, but normally the CMO 
is the only person on the marketing team and they might have maybe someone that's doing with content, but there's other stuff they can't handle. And so they need to hand it off to a contractor. And that's where I come in in those cases. So mm-hmm. I would say for anyone that's in the fintech space, uh, not to rely solely on your content. Now, I understand there's tons of people on LinkedIn that talk about content's going to generate all these leads. And personally, I know very few people that are just living off of their content alone and running a successful right. business. Now, they exist, yeah. but there's not many of them. Virtually almost all of the people that are in managerial positions or executive positions or C-suite, they're dealing with marketing for a larger fintech company. They're not on LinkedIn posting anything. They might like a few things. They right. might comment on a few things. Here and there, but they're not on there uh, that often. Like I was just speaking with the client I'm going to work with. Uh, they're a large options exchange in, uh, in Miami. Uh, however, none of their employees are on LinkedIn dealing with posts or anything. Really? They're there. They use it once in a while, but they're not posting. They're not liking things normally. They're looking at a few things there and there. But they, they certainly yeah. wouldn't reach out to people. these people. I know for sure they wouldn't. That's not that's not how they would deal with it. But so that's why I say uh, outreach is very important because there's a certain clients that you'll get and some of them will be excellent clients, but they're never going to reach out to you no matter how great your content is and, and no matter, even if you get in front of them. They find out about your obsession with coconuts and it's over. They'd be like, <laughs> this guy's crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's wrong with him? Yeah. But, but I will say as well, um, as a contractor, whether you're a copywriter or otherwise, you need to always be getting yourself in front of leads and filling up the pipeline and ensuring that your pipeline is at least doubly full, maybe more, because so many things happen. Things fall through all the time, even if people may want to work with you, you just don't know what's going to happen. So it's good to do outreach in that regard because you can more or less put things on autopilot that we're always going to have leads and you can always have clients coming in to work with you. Right. And I think that's a lot of, uh, that's a, that's a topic that a lot of people don't really discuss. I'm not sure why, uh, but I notice that's a big problem for a lot of people that are contractors are always mm-hmm. asking, well, how can I do clients? How can I get this? And I tell them, I'm like, Oh, is it really that simple? I said, yeah, but it just takes some time. Right. You got to build the rapport. So, right. Yeah, it takes time. I mean, I don't like doing outreach. I r- wish everything yeah. was inbound, but my copywriting coach mm-hmm. says, you know, that the thing with outreach is that you can choose who you want to reach out to or inbound. You don't know who these people are coming to you, you know, and so yeah. you can't really choose. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just going to ask if, if there's one bit of advice you could give. Would that be yeah. it? Like for copywriters in fintech or even just copywriting in general, what advice would you give to people wanting to break into specifically fintech? In fintech, I would say specifically for copywriters that want to break into it, please, for your own sanity, speak with people that are dealing with product development and that are dealing specifically with the infrastructure, the foundation of whatever the fintech product is. Because they're more than willing to talk to you and you're going to get some information from them uh, that you wouldn't get anywhere else. You can't find it on the internet. You can't find it in trade magazines. And that will help you. And choose a sub-niche of some kind within the fintech sector and then just focus on that and be known for that. So in my case, it's uh, in payments. Uh, and then go from there and 
do some research and figure out what kind of companies you might want to target. Uh, because a lot of these VPs of marketing, the marketing directors, the head of marketing and chief marketing officer, et cetera, uh, those people, uh, if you just reach out to them and have a discussion, a lot of them, eventually they're looking, whether it's, it's most people are not willing to buy immediately, but they're looking. So they have you on the radar, they know uh, you, and they may ask for some samples. And from there you can uh, build a relationship and then eventually they'll get a call with you and you can work with them. Like I worked with some very large companies just because of that reason, because I've reached out to them and mm -hmm. I don't think they're actively going uh, on LinkedIn or any other place to look to hire contractors. That's really not how it works for them because they're pretty busy. Right. Yeah. My, yeah. I'm always told outreach is a matter of timing. It's like you could send yes. out, because every time I, I've done cold outreach and I've had a response, the usually the first sentence they say to me is, your timing is perfect. Because even Correct. if you're good and you're a fit for them, if they don't have a copywriting need at that moment, they're not yep. going to respond. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean anything about how good you are necessarily. So, all right. Well, awesome. How can people find you and find out more about what you do? How can LinkedIn? they find me? Well, I'm on LinkedIn apparently. After we had this conversation, I guess I have a LinkedIn account. So, so I'm on there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Apparently, my name's spelled correctly on the screen too, so I guess that's how you're going to find me. Well, uh, you you typed it in, so I hope so. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm just using spell check all the time, Grammarly, and uh, what's, what's the other one I'm thinking about? A uh, Quillbot. <laughs> I don't know how to spell. Oh, Who knows? I don't know about that one. Your name is yeah. not is not difficult to spell. That's good. How else can you find me? Okay, well here's what I'll do for your audience. If you have any questions specifically about fintech space, B2B, marketing, copywriting, et cetera, just send me an email. It's my first name, kyle.bell at bellcopywriting.com, all in word. You can email me. I'll answer a question for you. Just please don't cool. abuse it. That's all I ask. Now I'm going to start spamming you. <laughs> you could. You can. <laughs> awesome, Kyle. Well, thanks so much. And yeah, and people will enjoy your... I don't know how many part series on things you didn't know about me that you do, which it, it just cracks me up every time. Like 10 things you oh, didn't know about really me. Enough, I'm at 41 this coming Monday. So that will be fun. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm going to talk about yet. No one uh, else could get away with that. I'm not sure how you. it's how it's happening because for some reason, it's the most popular series and people are really enjoying it. And then I've had people come to me from that series and Say, yeah, uh, I like your sense of humor. I like this. Uh, certainly, we need to work together in this time. Oh, okay. So it's uh, been I a hit. See. And I'm it's going. That's awesome. Yeah. So you have to find Kyle on LinkedIn and, and start jumping into that whole series of what you didn't know about him, which there's a lot there. And a lot of it has I to do with coconut. I would on my website, but it's not uh, live yet. That's a long story. But I'll uh, eventually get that <laughs> up and running this year. I had a design done already. It was already all done long early last year. I didn't go with it because I did a rebrand and I said, okay, it will all get relaunched. So that'll be good. All righty. Well, I'll put your information, contact information in the show notes. Everyone could, could find you. And thank you so much for being here. It's been real, a lot of fun. And that's a wrap for today's episode. We hope you found it informative, thought-provoking, and engaging. If so, please share it with your friends and colleagues who might also be interested in marketing and copywriting trends and innovations. And remember, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast 
on your favorite podcast platform and on our YouTube channel so you never miss an episode. We'll be back next week with another show, so stay tuned.